Well, good morning, church. Good to see you. It's great to be here. Uh, we are one church with many locations throughout the city. We're a church for the city, so we're all over, all throughout Austin. So we have uh, this campus downtown. We have our south campus. We have, uh, there we go, woohoo, uh, St. John campus up in St. John. Uh, and then we have our west campus out at the new PAC uh, out in Westlake. And I'm here to announce to you a north campus coming very, very soon. Uh, there we go. Yeah, I was waiting for that one. Waiting for that one. Uh, my name is Greg Brazil. I am the North Campus pastor here. Uh, about a year ago, I met a guy named Matt Carter in a doctoral program uh, preaching, not medicine, just so the, for the record. Uh, in a doctoral program out in Raleigh, North Carolina, at Southeastern Seminary, uh, he and I became uh, pretty good friends, and I preached here last July at the downtown PM services uh, during the summer preaching series. Uh, then we moved our family here in December to join the Stone. Uh, I have a wife, Heather, been married for 10 years in uh, this past December. She still likes me, I think. Uh, as, far as, I, as far as I know, we have three boys, uh, Cross, Rise, and Rain. I'll tell you about them here in just, uh, in just a bit. And we are thrilled to be here. I have watched this church for years, literally, uh, kind of from a distance, a few states over, uh, just in awe of what God has done here among, uh, among this body and thrilled to be here. Uh, so two things about North Campus. One, if you have any questions about that, uh, my email should be on the screen here in a bit. Uh, it's greg at austinstone.org. Uh, please feel free to email me about that. Also, if you live up north and want to help out launching the campus, uh, there is a city group called North Campus Interest Group. Very creative title we got, we got with that. So join that if you're interested. Uh, if not, pray for us. Um, pray for location. Pray for logistics. Pray for resources. Pray for parking. Um, you guys know how bad parking can be, so it will likely be a nightmare for us uh, as well. So sound good? All right, all right, let's go. Ephesians chapter 1, if you have your Bible with you, it'll be on the screen as well. Uh, we're in a series called Raised to Life. So since the year 2000, uh, when God saved me, I have been, for whatever reason, I've kept a journal, uh, you know, a black, hardcover, uh, moleskin, manly journal. All right, some of you have those moleskins, all those poor dead moles that we have killed uh, just to write our prayers and thoughts down. Uh, anyway, uh, for 14 years, I've been writing prayers and confessions and uh, sins and victories and sufferings, all these things. And once a year, I will go back and read over those. I'll break them out the, about the locked vault and I'll read over those things from 14 years in the past. And I'll be honest with you, in most situations, it depresses me. Like I look at my life, 14 years of walking with Jesus and I still wrestle with the same sins and same fears and same doubts and same worries. I just recycle my failures, it feels like. And it just deflates me. My, my eyes, my ears, my mouth still betray me. I still say things to my wife, to my kids, my friends that I don't mean and shouldn't say. It just absolutely depresses and deflates me. And there's some growth, I mean, for sure. There is growth that happens, has happened. But most cases, I see the negative. I just, I absolutely deflates me and depresses me. And I feel drained of just any spiritual power to please God. You ever do this? So you've been saved for two, three, five, ten years. And you're still just kind of recycling the sins over and over and over. You know the gospel. You believe in this God. You believe the Bible. Uh, but the gravity of suffering and sin just weighs you down and sucks the life out of you. And you just feel powerless. Because the reality is, actually, we are powerless. Change does come slow to us at times. Now, we learn how to fake it. 
We learn all of the kind of Christian noises to, you know, to say and, and ways to sound about this to kind of cover that up. But the reality is we just feel drained and powerless many times in our life. Do we not? I mean, you ever do this? You just feel so weak. So maybe it's, it's money. The money, just, the money just runs out sometimes, doesn't it? The debt piles up. Your bills now have bills, Right? And so, so giving radically, generously just seems, makes you feel anxious. Trusting God just feels so plastic. Hoarding just feels natural to you. And you just feel powerless because of it. Or maybe it's your marriage. Um, the marriage just gets out of sync. And it's icy and it's rocky and there's no love and there's no affection. There's no playfulness. There's no laughter. And so, men, you know you ought to lay your life down for her. But you just do not have the energy and the power to pursue her heart, to love her, to serve her. Uh, wives, you know that you should trust his leadership and submit to him and follow him. But he's just so harsh and so distant. You just have no power. And so what happens is we kind of default to a, what I've called a tick on the dog marriage. Hope you're encouraged by that, by the way. But you're sucking the life from each other. Because the problem is you have, you have two ticks and no dog. There's no resources to, to draw from. And you're just, you just feel powerless and weighed down and angry and bitter and you just drain one another. Or it's your plans. You, you had it all mapped out. You have 10 years, 15 years, you have the spouse, the house, the career. It's all mapped out and one day it all collapses. And in you know, Joshua, the book of Joshua it says that their hearts melted when these, some of these things happen. Your heart just melts on the inside, it feels like. And it just drains the life out of you. And so trusting God, it just seems impossible. Or you're a new Christian. Some of you are new believers, and you look at what God demands of you and what God is worthy of, and it's this mountain that you can't climb. So giving, being pure, all those things, holiness just seems like a dread and impossible as you look out to the future of following, uh, following Jesus. It's just too hard. And we just feel lifeless. Because the reality is, without Jesus, we are powerless. He says in John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Not some things, not a few things, not even one thing. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. So we are powerless in our own might, in our own, though we fake it well, we are powerless without his might working through us. But with his might, with his power, we have all that we need. His power is enough for you in any situation in your life. That's Paul's point here in Ephesians chapter 1. Um, so verse 19, last week Matt talked about uh, our inheritance. We have this future that is so glorious and so high and so beautiful. It is kept in heaven for us. We are God's. God is ours. We have these riches in Christ waiting for us. Our future is certain. And Paul wants our hearts to be just in awe of this. He never says to do anything here. He just wants our hearts just to look at this, the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened on this, and our affections just to soar because of our inheritance, but also to soar for verse 19, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So in, uh, your inheritance, that's future. That's, that's coming for us. That is guaranteed. It's going to happen. This power, though, it's now. 
This power is present, active, reigning, energizing us, ruling us right now. And this power is amazing, uh, Paul is going to say here. Uh, if, you read the, if you read the Greek or if you hear us quote the Greek language, uh, Paul is saying something like, uh, this is the super megaton dynamite of God. He's just piling on these adjectives to prove his point here. This power is so amazing. It's a force like no other. It's immeasurable, he says. You, you can't measure it. There are no scales, no tools. There is nothing that you, this power just keeps on going Wherever God is, and God is everywhere, this power is all over and never stops. So, you know, all earthly powers, you can measure them. You can get the right scales, the right numbers, the right stats, the right budgets, the right size, the right, you know, the pounds, the Twitter followers. All right, you can measure influence and power. No matter how big it is in this life, you, you can measure it. Uh, my wife, she asked me a very offensive question once. We were at dinner, and she loves to play these kind of what-if scenarios. And she asked me this question. She said, Greg, if you could go back, you know, and change things, go back five years, ten years, and change things, would you choose to be popular and famous? And I was like, well, I'm kind of a big deal now. That's what she did. She's laughing at me about that because she knows my limits. She knows how weak and how frail and how powerless I really am. She's seen the worst of me. She knows how powerless I am. And so all powers, uh, all governments, all businesses, all companies, all CEOs, billionaires, they all have limits. This power has none. There are no borders. There are no categories. There is, it's beyond space and dollars and time. It just keeps on going uh, Paul's going to say here in a bit. So the question I want to ask, ask and answer is, how do you get it? If this power is available to us, then how do you tap into this and actually use this power and rely on this power? Well, Paul tells us in verse 19, this power is toward us who believe. It's toward us who believe. So you don't really do anything to get the power. Like you don't work and merit and earn this power. It's given to those who believe. So God freely, graciously lavishes this power on anyone who believes the gospel. So if you believe the gospel today, you have this power. If you, if you place your faith in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, then you have this kind of power flowing through your spiritual veins. That's what Paul is saying here. We just believe. And listen, nothing in the world works like this. You do not get power in this world just by believing. It doesn't work this way. The way the world says to get power is you have to earn it. You have to merit and be worthy enough and perform enough, and then you're given power. No one just gets it freely, but you have to work and labor and sweat to get power. So, for example, in sports... Why do we give athletes so much clout and so much money and so much of our affections and so much of our time? Why do they have so much power? Tiger Woods and Michael Phelps and LeBron James and Johnny Manziel, why do they have so much power and influence over us? Because they've earned it. Like they have won your affections with a ball. They have done some things and you are now giving yourself and your time. You realize this, that the average football game, the ball is in play for about 11 minutes. 
right? Snap to, you know, the play's over. 11 minutes. And we spend hours and millions of dollars for, to watch 11 minutes. Why? Because it gains our affections. It earns those affections from us. And so we give these players, these athletes, power. You look at business. Um, how, do you, I mean, how do you get on Wall Street? How do you actually get profit, capital gains, all these things? How do you actually make a profit and be influential and powerful? You, you claw and you scratch and you work and you don't take vacations and you work weekends and you work late nights. You exhaust yourself to make a name for yourself in the business world. Or education. Uh, just so I'm, I'm, you're clear on this, they do not just hand out degrees. I know you've seen graduations, but you actually have to earn the diploma. Okay, they don't just hand out PhDs and master's degrees. You have to actually bring a pencil, okay, and actually do something. You have to work for it. And drink lots of Red Bull in the process, most likely. But you have to study and labor and think and, and pass. You have to perform. Then you're given the, the influence and the power. So the point is, it's your effort. It's your savviness that gets you power in this life. So here's a quote by Madonna, great theologian Madonna. Um, <laughs> Whatever you think about her, I'm not endorsing her, but whatever you think about her, this is insightful. She told Vanity Fair in 1991 in an interview, she says that my drive in life, the reason I wake up and, and do all that I'm doing, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And I guarantee every one of us have that fear. Why? We want power. We, we think we need power. What she's saying is the way to get power and to not be unknown and not be mediocre is to earn it and to bust it day in and day out. The world says work, labor, sweat, be worthy, then you'll get power. But the gospel, it just reverses it. The gospel subverts the world's system and values. The gospel says you're given power, then you work and labor and perform with the power God's giving to you. You just believe. The gospel says believe, trust in Jesus, and you receive power. Then you get to perform and labor and seek to magnify God through the power he is supplying to us by his grace. That's how you receive this. So it's not work, then get power. It's get power, then you work. There's nothing like the gospel. It just reverses, it subverts all of the world's systems. It is power, Romans 1.16 says. It is the power of God for salvation for all those who believe. It's not just powerful. It doesn't just have power. It is God's power, Paul says in Romans 1. Um, one theologian said that the gospel is like a pepper, a little pepper. It doesn't look impressive at all. It doesn't look powerful at all. But you sink your teeth into it, and it explodes your senses, doesn't it? The gospel doesn't look that powerful. The death of a man 2,000 years ago, the world scoffs at that, denies that his resurrection, denies his power, denies that he was God in the flesh. They absolutely see this as weak, but you sink your teeth into it. You give your life to this God, and it will explode into every fabric and fiber of your being, and it will change everything. That's the power you have available to you through this, this immeasurable power through the gospel. Now, you don't earn this, just to be clear. 
Um, it is free, but it's not cheap. And Paul's going to say next what this power is according to, because look where this power comes from. Somebody, you didn't pay for this, but someone else did. Someone else in your place paid for this. So verse 19, uh, this power is according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. See, Jesus died in your place and he rose in your place. He's the one who earns this power on your behalf. This is resurrection power. And you just believe in his work and all this flows into your life and courses through your veins. This power is now given to us because Jesus is alive. So Easter is over but he is still alive and reigning and ruling over all things. We don't just celebrate this once a year. It's every day we celebrate the resurrection. And so Paul is in awe of this. Like Paul just wants us to be in awe of the resurrection of Jesus. God brought him back from the dead. So the question is, are you in awe of this? When has it last skyrocketed your joy? Because the resurrection power will take the most depressed, defeated day and spin it on its head and turn it into something beautiful and glorious and fill it with value and meaning and laughter and purpose and hope. So are you in awe of this resurrected King Jesus who is reigning over all things? Because this power, Paul says, it is towards you. It's not just theoretically out there. It is actually toward you who believe. Not just for you, but it's actually in you and it's actually towards you. Jesus dies for us, rises for us. And so it's like this. If you read the New Testament, um, you'll often find that the cross uh, displayed God's love for us. You ever notice that? There's a lot of language where that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this. Um, Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. John 3.16, for God loved the world in this way that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him. It's always cross equals love for God. So if that's the case, what does resurrection mean for us? Well, the cross shows God's love for us. The resurrection shows God's power for us. God, at the cross, God says, I love you, I want you, I delight in you. At the vacant tomb, God is saying, I am holding you. I will never let you go from my grip of grace. The cross is, or the resurrection is about power. God raises him up and all this power is toward those who believe. God flexes his muscles, as it were, and extends his power out to those who believe in him. Uh, Paul goes on to say in verse 20, uh, he's not just risen, but he's reigning. Verse 20, and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, 21, far above. Paul can't just say above. Paul is, Paul is just bursting over with joy here. He is far above, Paul says, all rule and authority and power and dominion. Now, lest you think these powers are weak, Paul, that Paul has in mind here, they're not. Paul is very, very aware of attractive, powerful dominions and authorities in this life because they exist. There are rulers and powers and authorities and influence all around us that's just longing for us to give us their allegiance. And Paul knows this. And so you can trust in powers beside this power. 
Uh, you can trust in your company's name. You can trust in your last name. You can trust in your country, your state, your city. Listen, I, I love Texas. I just moved here five months ago. I love Texas. It's an awesome country. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. <laughs> Best country on the earth, right? Get claps for that one. Texas forever. Here we go. Um, I love Austin, such a cool city. There's food everywhere, just longing, just wanting you to come and wait three hours to eat it. It's so good, so good. And there are other powers around us. There's all kinds of, there's houses, there's money, there's all these things. There's sinful powers at work that just tug at our souls, uh, that, that tempt us. And draw us and allure us into lust, into lying, into cheating, into idolatry. And Paul is very, very aware of all these powers. His point, though, is that this power is above all of them. They all answer to, they're all under the power of the resurrected, risen, reigning Christ who is our conquering king. And he says that he is above every name that is named, of all the names that are named. And you can just pick one throughout all history, all races, all time, all continents, um, all religions, all governments, all rulers. Just pick a name and Jesus is above every name. And one day, there is coming a day when every single knee will bow and every single tongue will confess that this Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That, that day is coming. And this power has been, it's been given to us freely. Verse 22, he put all things under his feet. Uh, this is military language most likely. So when a king would conquer a nation, that nation would then serve that king. And the Psalms used the language of a footstool. So that the point is the king props his feet on this conquered nation. And Jesus is the one who props his feet, as it were, on all earthly powers, all earthly dominions. It's his ottoman, as it were. He props his remote on all powers that exist in this life. He is our God and our king. The last thing I want, to, I want you to see is this. And he gave him, as God gave him, as head over all things. And notice this, to the, what's the word? The church, which is his body. You need to see this, because he's not saying he gives power just to individual Christians all over the place. He gives this power, he reigns, and is head over the church. So this power, it is personal, it is for your life, it shoots right into your kitchen. This is real power for you when you leave this place, but it's not private power. This is to his body. He gives this power not to the world, but he gives this power to his body, to his church. It is a community kind of power. He is working in us. And so the point being that if you, if you separate yourself from the church, then you lose this power. The further you get from the community of faith and believers speaking into your life, pouring into your life, um, you begin to lose this power. You, you need the body of Christ in, in your life. It's not just you and, it is you and Jesus, but it's just not, not only you and Jesus. It's us together. He is the head over the church. It's personal, but it's not private. And last thing he says, it's the fullness of him who fills all in all. And what he seems to be saying here is this power just keeps going. Like there, there's, no, there's no limits to it. It fills everything. 
It's wherever God is, and God is everywhere. So it fills Austin all the way to the ends of the earth. And so, by the way, if you're going there, if God's called you to the nations, there is power going with you. There is power there in unreached people groups all over this globe. There is power there, Paul is saying. There, there are no limits to this. Here's what John Piper in a sermon on this text said, the risen Christ is head over all things. He's head, implying authority and conscious active rule over all history, over all human beings, all demonic powers, disease, disability, all nature, weather, hurricanes, lightning bolts, tornadoes, volcanoes, earthquakes, floods, global warming. He's over all businesses and industry, healthcare, praise the Lord, sports, March Madness, Inventions, media, internet, iPad mania, military might, governments, presidents, kings, chiefs, religions, universities, solar systems, stars, galaxies, molecules, atoms, subatomic uh, particles, and 10,000 things no man has yet discovered. Jesus is now head over them all. And you may say, well, that's overkill. That's what Paul's saying here. That there is no place where he's not king and lord. He has all power, all authority, all might. This is where this power comes from. Now, last thing I want to kind of walk you through is what do you do with it? If you have this power, it's available to us. We don't work for this. We don't merit this. It's more than anything on this earth can give to us. Then what do you, what do, you do with it? How does it affect our lives? Let me give you three thoughts on that. One, this power gives you unshakable joy. This power will make you live. It will put a, a spring in your step. It will take the most mundane, boring parts of life and just fill them with laughter and value and purpose. Your marriage can now thrive because of this power. You have resurrection power living in your life. You can lay your life down now for your spouse. You can love her, serve her, give yourself to her. Ladies, you can submit to him, follow his leadership. You have resurrected power now to, to do that. And so it's like this. Um, men, if you are, uh, if she is 1% wrong, all right, and you are 99% wrong, which usually plays out in my life, okay? If you are 99% wrong, what you said, what you did, you're just flat out wrong, and you're in bed at night, and she's faced that way, reading a book, and you're faced this way, watching the iPad. That ever happened? You're like, yep, last night. Okay, so too soon for some of you for that, for that to happen. Anyway, men, you have power to reach over to her and say, I'm sorry. I acted on impulse. I was sinful. Please, let's talk and let's work through this. You have power now to do that. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, he can roll you over and apologize to your wife. He can have, has power to do that. Your life can now thrive with unshakable joy. Second thing is this power will uphold you in any suffering. In any suffering now, you can walk through anything in life and this power will sustain you and hold you up so your plans fall through, the money just is gone, this power will sustain us. I mean, think about it. The Messiah died. The disciples, their friend, their master, their rabbi, he died. 
How could any good come from that? God kills him. God drops the hammer down on him on the cross. How could any good come from that? But we know the story. Only good came from that. So at times it feels like God is killing you. But he's actually saving you. It feels like his boot is on your throat and he's about to wipe you out. But he's actually rescuing your heart from idols, your own devices, your own plans. It feels like he's killing you. He's actually saving you. This God upholds us in suffering. Your God is sustaining you. He's working all things for good and for his glory. And nothing can undo this. He is never letting you go. And so not pain, not cancer, not death, not suffering, not bankruptcy, nothing can undo this power in your life. So we have, uh, like I told you, we have three boys, five, two, and uh, about eight months. Uh, life is crazy. They are, they're good most days. Uh, many days, they're little demon hobbits that are just terrorizing our life, okay? Uh, we need power to raise them because I know what's coming for us. Like, I was a teenager. Like, I was a young man. I know what's in my heart and what's in their heart. And so we need power to weather difficult seasons, rebellious, sinful seasons. We need power to raise them, to shepherd their hearts. We need resurrection power, and we have it, Paul says. Parents, you have this power. Tell your kids, I have resurrection power. I will unleash this on you right now unless you get in the car. You can tell them that. That may not work, but you've got verses. You've got verses to do it. So Paul had this thorn in his flesh. You may have you know, you've read about Paul. He's, we're not sure what this thorn was, but he says that there's this thorn that a messenger of Satan had given to him, and he pleads with Jesus over and over to take this thorn from him. But Jesus says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. And notice this, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul goes on to say that he will boast in his weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on him. We don't tend to boast in our weaknesses, do we? We boast in our savviness, in our talents, our skills, but we don't boast in our weaknesses. And Paul is saying, when I'm doing that, it is the power and the grace of Christ who gives me strength to do all of these things. Last thing, so it uh, gives you joy, you can endure suffering. Last thing is that this power makes you holy. So back to my journals, um, I'm not kidding. There are, I mean, there are some dark spots in 14 years of walking with Jesus. There are some things that I'm ashamed of, I would tell you right now. So I will deny everything that's in there if they get out somehow. I'm just telling you. There are some spots where I don't want people to know about, uh, as I wouldn't say them publicly at least. But here's the thing, I'm still here. Like, I still believe in this God. I still want him and desire him, and I know him more than I ever have in my life. So I still sin, yes. There there are thousands of sins that I don't commit. I overcome those things. His power is sustaining and working this out in me. And so, yes, I still blow it at times, but um, I confess and I repent. I resist sin. I overcome those things. I grow. I become more holy. Why? Because his power is doing that. He is keeping me. He is holding me. He is sustaining me. I still believe in this God. And he does this for all of us who believe in him and who know him. He never takes his hands off of us. 
He's always molding and shaping and working and fashioning us into what he wants us to be until there's no addiction that you can't break. There's no hurt that you can't forgive. There's no sin that you can't resist. But here's the thing. Even when you do sin, this power is towards you, reminding you that it's not your works, not your effort, not your record, but Jesus' record, his work who's cleansed us and who's pardoned us and who is, that's the basis of our forgiveness. This power is toward us and it makes us holy because we are his sons and we are his daughters. And listen, God never regrets that. Like God never second guesses saving you and redeeming you. Like God never goes, man, who picked her? Was that you, Jesus? Because that wasn't me. Like God never has this heretical moment, okay? He never does that. He delighted in saving you and he still delights in saving you. Though you would blow it 10,000 times after he saved you. God knew that. But he still sings over you, rejoices over you, and his power is enough for you. So will you lean into it? Will you stop relying on your own strength, your own might, your own schemes, your own wisdom? And will you press into this resurrection power, reigning, conquering power from our King that he's given to those who believe? Let me pray for us and we'll sing together. Father, we confess, um, God, that we, we need you. Father, your power and your might uh, is so glorious. May our hearts be in awe of this. Father, would you stir our affections for your son? Help us to recognize that his life and his death and his resurrection, it was for us in our place. And that we are now righteous, we are now approved, we are now worthy because of him. Father, we confess that we so often rely on our own effort We relate to you just with, like we're keeping some record. And so we just confess that we need your grace. We need your power. So come, Holy Spirit, and speak to us and empower us and energize us. Father, I pray for those who have never embraced Jesus as Savior and as Lord. May they recognize how powerless they are, but how much grace, how much might uh, is freely available to them. Father, we love you. We long for you. Help us to walk this week in your power. Uh, The one who loved us, who gave himself for us, may that define us as your sons and your daughters this week, we pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.